The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hello, and welcome to The Credit Edge, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Olivia Raimonde, and I'm a corporate finance reporter here at Bloomberg News. This week, we're very pleased to have Amelia Pollard on the show with us. She covers the stress, debt, and bankruptcy for Bloomberg News in New York. How are you doing, Amelia? I'm great, Olivia. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. We're also delighted to see Julie Hung, who looks at the consumer sector for Bloomberg Intelligence in New York. We'll be coming back to Julie a little bit later in the show, so please do stay with us. But first, Amelia Pollard with Bloomberg News. Amelia, we had a high-profile bankruptcy in the news this week, the trucking company Yellow. Um, for our listeners, can you sort of set the scene for us? You know, who, who is this company? You know, what do they do and, and what role do they play um, in our economy? Sure, yeah. So all eyes really have been on Yellow this week. And Yellow is one of the biggest trucking companies in the U.S. And they specialize in something known as LTL, freight shipping. So that basically means less than truckload. And so when companies have less than a full truckload of goods, but still need to transport it across the country or from point A to point B, that's when a company like Yellow comes in and really fills that niche. Um, and it is one of the biggest trucking companies in the U.S. They have, or they had before filing for bankruptcy, around 30,000 employees. Um, and many of those, if not almost all of them, are out of jobs now after the company filed for bankruptcy on Sunday. That is an unfortunate casualty of, of bankruptcy proceedings, right? I feel like we don't always talk about sort of the, the worker loss component in here. I, I know, especially on Credit Edge, we're going to be getting you know, deep into the, the loan and the debt stuff, but it is always important to remember when we have bankruptcies like this that there are real workers, you know, behind this that are unfortunately losing their jobs. Um, and I guess our listeners probably have seen a yellow truck on the highway, maybe when they're, you know, driving to a friend or family's place or, you know, going on a road trip, they've probably seen those trucks on the road, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's one of the biggest um, trucking companies in the U.S., so it is definitely prominent. Got among it. freight shippers. Got it. So tell me about this loan that it has from the U.S. government. This seems like a little bit of a different situation to the type of bankruptcies or corporate bankruptcies that maybe, you know, I've looked at in the past where there's a bunch of, you know, corporate loans, but we have one from the U.S. government now. Can, can you walk us through, you know, what that means? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll set this scene real quick because I think that Big companies like this do file with somewhat regularity, but there's a reason why everyone's focused on this bankruptcy in particular. And that's because the U.S. Treasury, the federal government, gave Yellow a $737 million loan during the pandemic. 
And it was actually part of a fund earmarked specifically for firms that are critical to national security. But of the money doled out part of, as part of this program, Yellow received 95% of the money. So there was already heightened scrutiny in Congress. There have been several inquiries by Congress people looking into this loan, how it came to be, why Yellow was considered such a critical um, force for national security in the U.S. was a big question. This was all under the Trump administration um, to kind of lay the background on this. And so the big question of bankruptcy for everyone always is who's going to get paid back? Because you file for bankruptcy largely because you can't pay back everyone. And something really specific about the U.S. bankruptcy system is there's a hierarchy of who gets paid back. And it's basically on the debt side, it all comes down to how secured your debt is, whether there is you know, lucrative collateral backing your debt or not. And so the US in this case is a secured creditor. Got it. Which means that it has a better chance of getting paid back, which is good. But um, and I, I, maybe I'll, I'll pause there because I think that's kind of laying enough groundwork before we maybe get more into the loan. Yeah, for sure. So you said that because the debt is secured, it's, it's higher up in line to be paid back. Is there a chance that they could not be paid back or is the government pretty certain that they're going to get um, the money that they lent the company back? Or are we not sure yet? Yeah, I mean, there's always always a chance. And the, the fact is that Yellow is liquidating. It is not continuing operation. So it's really a matter of how much the company can fetch for its assets. And that is really what the company is going to be spending around the clock doing for the next few months is trying to sell off all of the trucks they own, all the terminals that they own. You know, property is a really big um, component here. Yesterday, on Wednesday, there was a bankruptcy hearing in which um, a lawyer for the company detailed that some of these terminals were in urban areas, which might be pretty valuable. But I think there was less hope a few days ago about the Treasury's loan. But yesterday during the hearing, um, a, a t- an attorney for the Department of Justice showed up and said, we have already negotiated with the company to ensure that we have, quote, adequate protections, um, no matter what kind of bankruptcy financing comes into play. Because I think the big question now is, who is going to fund this bankruptcy? And is their deal to fund the bankruptcy going to put them at the very top of the repayment line and presumably push down the Treasury Department in their position in line to get paid back? Ah, I see. I see. So I believe that um, Apollo is one of the lenders involved. Could you talk to us a little bit about what their role is here and you know what money they are or they are not lending? Yeah, sure. And I think this is another reason why the story has gotten so much attention is because some, there's been some framing around U.S. Treasury Department versus Apollo, uh-huh. which I think is like seen as two big titans kind of buying off for their debt to be paid back. So while um, the Treasury is a major lender here and major secured creditor, Apollo is the biggest private lender in the in play here. Got it. And so they in bankruptcy, you basically pitch. You have pitches for bankruptcy financing. You need a lender to kind of step up and say, we're going to give you even more money to ensure that you can get through the bankruptcy process because bankruptcy is exceptionally expensive. So you need usually an outside source of, um, of funds. And so Apollo had originally brought forward bankruptcy financing that seemed to be in place and kind of all but a done deal for Yellow. But it it was 
an exceptionally expensive financing package. And that being said, all financing packages in bankruptcy are expensive, but um, this one had a 17% fee. It had a massive roll-up, which basically meant that its existing debt would be rolled up into the new debt, giving it a better position in the repayment line. And so on Wednesday's hearing, um, Yellow actually mentioned that two new bidders have actually emerged because the Apollo proposed loan was pretty expensive. And one of them is MFN Partners, which is a fund based in Boston that is the largest shareholder of Yellow. And the other one is a competitor, a truck, another trucking company called Estes Express Lines. And both of them have proposed offers to fund the company through bankruptcy that have slightly better terms than the Apollo deal. And the attorneys on the bankruptcy hearing on Wednesday made it clear these offers are still you know, just offers at this point. It, nothing has been set in stone, but which uh, loan emerges as the winning bid will probably be decided on Friday. There's another bankruptcy hearing being held just to talk about the bankruptcy financing. Got it. Got it. And then why is the interest on the Apollo loan so high? Would you be able to explain that? And and what and how high is it? Sure. So bankruptcy financing, what's known as debtor in possession loans or financing, um, have become more and more expensive over the years. Part of it is just that interest rates are higher, so you know it costs more to borrow money. But another phenomenon has happened where the private lenders that were involved in the company before the company filed are given are basically in a position where they can propose almost whatever terms they want because very rarely do other bidders emerge. Um, so that's kind of been the trend. We've seen these the terms of these loans become more onerous for the company over in recent months. So I think it's really just this, this is not a unique situation, just to say. This, this has been the case with other companies where there are really onerous terms for the bankruptcy financing loans. Got it. And is there any indication that you know, one of the offers is more favor- favorable than the other? Do we have any sense of you know, which one the company might be leaning towards? You know, it's a little hard to tell at this point. I think it needs to be determined how serious the offers are. The, the trucking competitor um, actually offered quite a bit more of a loan. They are extending an offer to Yellow of $230 million, oh, wow. whereas the Apollo offers only $142.5 million. Um. Um, and then MFN Partners, one really, something that's very favorable about their terms is that the runway that Yellow would have to sell its assets is twice as long. So because those other offers are have emerged, it's, you know, it's possible at this point that Apollo will change its terms. So that'll all be hashed out on Friday. Got it. And aside from this hearing on Friday, what else can we expect like in the coming weeks from this company and, and from the bankruptcy as well? I think all eyes will be on how much Yellow is able to fetch for its assets that really in, in a liquidating situation where the company has ceased operations. It's not a matter of whether it will survive because it is definitely ending. And so it really just depends on how quickly it can sell its trucks and, and other valuable things that it has under its you know, purview. Um, and then you know, in coming months or even potentially years, because these things can be dragged out for a very long time, 
um, people will really be interested in, in how much the Treasury Department can recoup of its $700 million loan from the pandemic. Really interesting stuff. Uh, great stuff, Amelia. That's Amelia Pollard from Bloomberg News. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you can read all of Amelia's coverage on the Bloomberg Terminal and, of course, uh, at Bloomberg.com. As I mentioned earlier, we are delighted to welcome Julie Hung to the Credit Edge. She covers the consumer sector for Bloomberg Intelligence, based in New York. How's it going, Julie? It's going well. There's been some activity in the news recently. So, yeah, interesting time to be in the consumer sector. And thank you for having me on this podcast. Of course, of course. We're, we're thrilled to have you. So I know you cover a lot of different things. And as you said, there's a lot going on in this um, industry right now. But I wanted to focus on M&A today. Julie, tell me what's the scoop on the deals front for companies in the consumer sector? So the consumer sector, there's a lot of, um, if you're looking at a consumer name, there's uh, they, they own a lot of different brands. And, um, you know, what's very interesting about this sector is that they're constantly buying and selling um, different names, different brands. And, you know, over the past few years, we've been hearing from management companies that, you know, they're, they're always going through portfolios. They're getting rid of the lower margin businesses, focusing their resources on the higher margin businesses because, you know, resources are limited. Um, there have been, you know, some big deals in the past few years, but lately we've been seeing and hearing from management that they want to focus more on tuck-in acquisitions, smaller acquisitions, um, you know, acquisitions that are strategic. So they're not just going to buy something just to buy something. Um, I spoke with uh, one company recently who said, you know, we're not in the market, you know, just just for the sake of it. You know, we really want to buy something either targeted in something that they have um, so they can expand their uh, brand reach or something that they want to be in, um, but they don't want to grow from the bottom. And, you know, I kind of brought it up with, you know, the, this um, with the management team, you know, what, what about this? Like, have you been looking at this? And, this, and they're like, well, we don't want to buy anything too big because then we take what we want and we don't know what to do with the rest of it. So I think that's kind of the the general feeling that we're getting from um, the consumer sector is, you know, they want to do M&A. They want to be strategic about it. They want to be um, smart about what they're doing. They want to be careful. Um, so the focus is on smaller deals, um, and especially in a current market like what we have now. Smaller deals in the market like we have now. That makes a lot of sense. Uh in the news this week, uh, Campbell just announced an acquisition, an acquisition, excuse me, of Rayo, uh, $2.7 billion, I believe. Could you, you know, walk me through that high level? Is that considered a tuck-in? And, and how did the credit rating firms react to that? Um, well, the $2.7 billion is a, a little bigger than what we would consider tuck-ins. Like for us, tuck-ins are about a billion dollars or smaller. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll get to, you know, the, the downgrade, but um, if you're looking at, there's a Bloomberg function, um, MA Go, where you can search by sector to see what M&A um, activity is active. So if you um, drill down to food and household products, you'll see that, um, you know, over the past year, most of the deals have been $500 million or less. And, uh, you know, those are more what we consider uh, yes, smaller. Um, as for the Campbell deal, uh, as, as for the Campbell deal, so, um, you know, Rayo is considered a, a premium um, 
you know, soft business and it goes with their prego line, um, you know, it's, it, they're going to fund it with debt. And, um, you know, S&P had downgraded them following the announcement um, because this is going to stress their free cash flow. It's going to increase their leverage metrics. And, um, you know, they felt that the mid triple B rating wasn't appropriate for them at the time. So, you know, they're downgraded to one notch above junk. You know, I think, you know, another reason why a lot of companies are focused more on tuck-in deals is you know, the cost of financing is a lot higher now than it was a year ago than it was two years ago. So, you know, when you're thinking about funding um, a, a deal with debt, you don't know what you know, what the synergies are going to, and you can estimate what the synergies are going to be like, um, but you don't know what, um, how easy it is. You don't know what, what kind of obstacles you're going to, um, they're going to face like incorporating this. So there's a lot of costs with, um, you know, with incorporating like a new brand into their company. Um, if you're looking at like the cost of financing, so that's going to, that could, that's going to affect their operating income. It'll like lower that. A lot of the companies now are also increasing capital spending, um, investing in um, like more like factories and you know updating like capacities. Um, so it's really going to stress their free cash flow. So Campbell said that you know they're going to focus on debt reduction, but if you don't have the cash to reduce debt, then you know you kind of question, well, you know how are you going to do it? Um, the other thing too is you know operating performance. Um, it depends on you know, the demand for your products and demand has been okay for the consumer staples, but we heard in the second quarter that volume has been impacted because pricing has gone up, you know, and companies have been raising pricing to try as best they can to preserve margins and to offset higher inflation and, you know, higher labor costs and, you know, know, the cost of goods. So, you know, you're trying to balance all of that, um, in, in an economy where you're not really sure where where the economy's headed, so I, I think again going back to my original comments about tuck in M and A, I think that's why you know companies are not as willing to just go out there and do something big because then they would have to borrow to do that, and that'll just you know create this domino effect, stressing you know a lot of other like metrics in their credit profile. A lot of credit metrics and to focus on for sure, as you mentioned before, you know, leverage how much debt a company has compared to their earnings and, you know, free cash flow, how much money companies are generating. Those are really a lot of important things, especially to the credit graders. Of course, we've seen some other downgrades, though, in the industry, I think. Can you talk to me maybe about Newell Brands? Yeah, Newell Brands is um, a high-yield company. Um, You know, we had called for a downgrade to mid triple B um, and you know they were downgraded last week to mid triple B by S&P um, Newell's product line is a little bit more discretionary than uh, like let's say like a consumer uh, food pa- ca- ca- packaged consumer food company um, you know they own like food saver Mr. Coffee Crock-Pot they own outdoor uh, brands like Coleman and Marmot and Contigo, so most of their revenues are from a, a more, are from more discretionary products. So that in an economy that wasn't you know very strong, um, in addition to a consumer that was cash strapped, 
um, in addition to, you know, Newell themselves being um, more shareholder friendly, they had a very aggressive financial policy up until recently. Wow. So they were um, still paying a high dividend. Mm, yeah. um, there were share repurchases. When, you know, operations weren't doing very well, um, so that kept their leverage very high. And they have a debt reduction plan, which is good. Um, they cut their dividend by um, 70%, which will help with their free cash flow, and they'll free up some cash to pay down debt. But, you know, it was kind of like a little too too late to do all that. Um, it, so S&P decided they were going to take them down um, to uh, to mid triple B, um, you know, we also want to highlight that you know Carl Icahn owns about seven percent of the outstanding shares, and he could encourage them to do something shareholder friendly. Um, so, you know, Newell, like yeah, they do have really good uh, brand names, but because of just the nature of um, you know of, of what sectors they're in within the consumer product sector. Um, you know, there it was just kind of um, a little difficult for them operationally. Got it, got it. And for our listener, could you explain, you know, exactly what a credit rating downgrade means for a company? Should they want to come to the market and and borrow mm-hmm. again? You know, how is that going to impact them going forward? Yeah. So a credit credit rating downgrade, um, it it basically just increases your uh, cost of funding and increases your access to capital markets. So um, tied in with a long-term rating, you have a short-term rating, which you could access a short-term commercial paper um, for, for immediate needs, let's say. So if you can't, if you can't access the short-term market, if you need it, then sometimes that just makes financing your business a little more difficult. So it's kind of like, you know, when we have a credit rating, like we personally have credit ratings. If we want to go borrow money in the bank, it's easier for you to borrow money in the bank if you have a higher credit rating. Same thing with a company. It's a little easier for them to borrow money and they could borrow at better rates if they have a higher credit rating. So a downgrade impacts all of that. Um, And then when you when you go from investment grade to high yield, it, it really, um, you know, does change your cost of financing. Yeah, the cost of financing in high yield is definitely significantly higher than investment grade for sure. Would you be able to talk to me a little bit about the overall performance of the consumer names specifically in high yield? Let's shift over to the more speculative grade names. How are they performing compared to, say, like the broader yeah. universe? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, the general consumer non-cyclical sector is um, pretty recession resistant. And we, we've heard that, you know, since since the pandemic, we've heard that since, you know, we're in this high inflation environment. And when, you know, economists are calling for um, a recession, um, you know, the consumer packaged food non-cyclical sectors generally hold in pretty well. Obviously, because we all need to eat, we all, you know, yes, we all need to, like, you know, um, take showers, and yeah, it's and it, it's it's a it's a very relatable sector. So you still need your your basic needs met. Um, the year to date high yield total returns. Um, the year to date total returns for the corporate high yield sector is six point two percent. The year to date uh, total returns for the consumer non cyclical sector is six point zero seven percent. 
So while it's not overperforming um, the general corporate high yield sector, it's holding in there, which I think just speaks to the general commentary that we've been hearing that consumer non-cyclicals are a pretty recession resistant. That makes a lot of sense. And do you have any insight on sort of how this sector is positioned for the second half of the year, especially if we the economy manages manages to have a soft landing, like perhaps uh, market participants are hoping for at the moment? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we've been hearing recession, recession for so long, and now soft <laughs> landing, and that's, you know, that that that's good news, you know. I'll I'll take that over, you know, the fears of a recession. But you know, a soft landing, it's good for the consumer. It's good for the consumer sector in general. Um, good for the consumer, you know, obviously because you know you're 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 not going to be so stressed for cash. Um, all the headwinds that have been discussed, as it personally affects the consumer. It doesn't go away, but we're we're not so worried about it. Um, you know, the the job market is holding in pretty well. Um, the unemployment rate is still low. Um, you know, it, it, we we've been again, like I you know I, I mentioned before that you know we're hearing uh, we were hearing in the second quarter earnings um, that the consumer they were stretching their budget. So when you're looking at volume performance. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example like Kraft, you know, the, their volumes were down more than what was expected. Um, and it, it was it was the volumes were down more sequentially as well. Um, and, you know, they were commenting that consumers are are kind of stretching their budget. They're 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 not buying as often. It's not that they're trading down to something cheaper, but they're just not buying as often. Um you know, craft, you know, just like other consumer packaged food companies, like they raise their prices to kind of offset the inflationary impact. Um, so you're starting to see that the consumer, they've reached their limit on how much they're going to pay for something. So I think in a soft landing, you know, volume, it'll help volumes a lot. And, you know, we'll see um, volumes bounce back um, somewhat. Um, so good for the consumer. Now for the consumer, um, the, the consumer general and sector, I think, you know, it's definitely good for the consumer sector in general as well. Um, everyone's kind of been holding their breath. Management, you know, just very cautiously optimistic for um, what's going to happen in the second half of the year. Um, you know, not knowing whether, you know, geopolitical risks are going to continue. There's just so many headlines. Right? So you have geopolitical risks. Um, you know, whether, um, you know, the consumers are still going to be strapped, like the, the state of the economy. So when you have this, this talk of a soft landing, I think it's, you, you know, it's just good news. It, it's, it's very good news. Um, consumer companies have just been very careful how they're spending their money, which they're still going to be, but there's a little more breathing room in a soft landing. Um, we've seen that generally, and I'm going to speak very generally, um, balance sheets, cash flow has, has been very good. And I think that's because given the headwinds, given the unknowns, um, not knowing what's going to happen in, in the economy, I think they've just been very cautious in their approach to shareholder returns, their caution, their approach to M&A, like what we were talking about earlier before. So just operating performance-wise in a soft landing environment, it'll be good for the consumer sector in general. 
the the counterbalance is well are they going to start being aggressive with share share repurchases are they going to be um you know more aggressive with their dividends so you they they need to counterbalance that so you you preserve your credit ratings and you still keep some dry powder on your balance sheet just in case something else happens um you know and i i go back to um you know, February 2020, I was at the Cagney Conference, which is the large consumer com- consumer products food and beverage conference that they hold every year. And I remember back in February um, 2020, um, you know, we were, we were we were hearing questions about what's going on in China. What do you think is going to happen in China? How is that going to affect you guys? And you know, you know, management's up there, and you you could tell they don't know, and they just. Their comments were all, we're watching it, we're monitoring it, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll keep you guys updated. Well, then a month later, we're in full lockdown. So the speed at which the pandemic came, I think it took everybody by surprise. And I think they, nobody wants to be in that position anymore. So, you know, we'll, we'll probably see um, more shareholder friendly activities, but I think that there's going to be something in the back of their minds that, okay, you know, we can't be too aggressive because we need our credit rating. We need cash because we just don't know what's going to happen down the line. We just don't know, Julie. That's that's exactly what it is. None of us have that crystal ball that we we all wish that we had. Well, thank you so much, Julie. That was Julie Hung of Bloomberg Intelligence. You can read all of her great analysis on the Bloomberg Terminal. Please do check it out. And Julie, hope to see you back again soon. Thank you so much. And thanks again to Amelia Pollard from Bloomberg News. Read all of her great credit speech and coverage on the terminal and at Bloomberg.com. I'm Olivia Raimonde. It's been a pleasure having you. Join us again next week on The Credit Edge. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.